For great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts, the TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Hi, I'm John O'Sullivan, CEO of Principia Scientific International. With me again is Joe Posma, astrophysicist from Canada. Um, we love to talk about science, uh, scientific controversy, and uh, one of the things that keeps popping up time after time, again, it uh, never goes away, is a conspiracy theory about flat Earth, flat Earth theory. And uh, again, we've had this on our on our Principia Scientific website. People come and post comments and uh, have their own point of view. You know, fair enough. Uh, I I'm not of that crowd. But again, there are those of us who feel we need to talk about it and obviously to educate people on why we don't think it's uh, such a very compelling idea. Um, one YouTuber, Professor Dave, you know, he's had this issue put to him and uh, he's done it very well. He's handled it very well. And we thought we'd bring him on to talk about it. Um, now, Dave Farina, Dave Farina is a, a proper scientist, qualified scientist, American science educator. He received his bachelor's degree in chemistry from Carleton College in 2005. After that, he taught uh, biology, physics, and chemistry, specializing in organic chemistry at uh, an accredited trade university. In 2011, he began to pursue his master's degree in synthetic organic chemistry at Cal State Northridge. And uh, he completed most of his course on synthetic organic chemistry and then finished on science communication to get his degree. Um, Dave, we have three professionals here on, on science to talk about this subject. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, th this topic of flat earth, um, I've never had to debate anybody really about this, but it seems like you, you've been drawn into the debate. Uh, give us a flavor of, of what you've been uh, having discussions about. What in particular is the key issue here? Well, I mean, the key issue, as you can imagine, is conspiratorial thought because there's absolutely nothing to substantiate uh something that we figured out 2500 years ago i mean in terms of a scientific mindset it's literally the first thing that we as a species figured out like the ancient greeks figured out that the earth is a sphere simply by like observing celestial objects like they didn't have access to really sophisticated scientific instruments so when it comes to a conspiracy of this nature it's really just delusional narcissism like it, it's it's a it's a psychological issue not not a scientific one like like people talking about climate change or things like that where you have to really use sophisticated data so it's been interesting navigating i just kind of got dragged into it by some flat earthers and then found that i had a lot of fun with it so i kind of milked it for a while i've sort of moved on to more pressing things but um there's always this uh yeah there's always the atmosphere of the flat earthers uh i'm sort of yeah. their number one enemy i think on the on the internet so yeah i'm you know. a fellow educator i just want to uh frame it better i think that the fact is that uh, we have to <laughs> as a fellow educator i was a high school teacher for many years and uh, again i have to keep reminding myself half the population of below average intelligence it's uh not so much that um they're willfully stupid they just don't know they they, they can't comprehend it and again it's useful now and again to present the facts and just say, look, on, on a simple level, look at this, look at that. And, you know, you can effectively prove to yourself that things are the way we say they are. And, and Joe, yeah, jump in, Joe. 
Well, yeah, I mean, just bouncing off off that, um, Dave, I mean, why do you find that people are, well, one thing that you find is that these people, I mean, I watched your, your debate with, I think the guy was, uh, his name was David Weiss, David yeah. Weiss, uh, a globuster guy or something, you know, total flat earther. Uh, I mean, one thing that you find in these debates is that information doesn't matter. I mean, they seem to have yeah. a, a, an explanation or a way out of of everything and it's really pointless it becomes pointless to have a a debate or a discussion at all because um there's there's just no ability to connect i mean that's such a strange phenomenon what do you think drives that what's behind that well there's no i mean there's obviously no good faith discussion with the flat earth figures because they're all lying they're all charlatans i think some of them they really don't like 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 they seem like they're they seem like they're honest people no i mean they 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 you think you can tell they, that they're lying? They know that they're lying? Yeah, you think so? Of course they are, because every time you pin them on a lie, they try to jump to something else. They don't yeah, earnestly true, yeah. discuss something. Like they're, yeah, they're, they evade, they're, right? they're snake oil salesmen. Like he, that guy knows the earth is a sphere. He, he, he sells a, a, an app, a flat earth app that uses globe-based GPS data. Like he knows <laughs> that the earth is a sphere. It's just that, and I think that he's so delusional that he, he and many of them, like there are people who fall for it, but the prominent figures, the ones that peddle it, that make the material, they know, like you, they may have gotten into it earnestly, but it's so unbelievably indefensible and falls apart upon even the slightest bit of scrutiny that they all, you can be in it for a few months before you figure out that the earth is definitely a sphere. And then at that point, you're just ingrained and, you know, you've got your little minor celebrity status where you never can in any other area of your life. You make a little bit of income, not a lot, but maybe if you're lucky enough to not have a job and um, they're not going to. Well, that is, well, that is go, a question. Know? That is the question. Why? Why? I mean, do you think it's just for a few bucks they might make on, on what YouTube ads or whatever they're. I mean, yeah, why? It's got to be. There's got to be a bigger why. I mean, wh- why would you do something so so stupid? There's got to be a bigger answer, no? Or a bigger reason? Not really. I mean, I think. See, the, the problem is that these guys are the bottom of the barrel. Like, if you're really smart and you want to be a huckster, you can figure out a way. You can be like Andrew Wakefield and be this leader of the anti-vax movement and make millions and millions of dollars. But these guys don't have like Andrew Wakefield has medical training. He understands how to like these guys are both dishonest, delusional narcissists and very unintelligent. So this is kind of the only avenue available for them to be to be hucksters. Um, and they there's a little community and they kind of rise to prominence in the community. And that feels good for them and everything. So it's just, they're kind of trapped. Um, and they just like, there's not really anything else that they can do in life. <laughs> they're kind of pointless people. So, <laughs> so you take a really negative view, view of them eh, as, as people. I, know. I mean, what else can I you know do? I know these people very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you're quite willing to go head to head with them. Uh, yeah. So you do have this debate with uh, David Weiss. And yep. uh, I mean, it's quite, I mean, you, you pull no punches. You call him a lot of <laughs> A lot of dead with them. Uh, yeah, so you do have this debate with uh, David Weiss. And uh, yep. I mean, it's quite, I mean, you, you pull no punches. You call him a lot of, <laughs> a lot of names uh, sure. during, yep. the, during the debate, right? Um, well, yeah, the point. The, the point, because there's no there's no opportunity to have them go, oh, yeah, I see you're right about that, or, oh, I didn't know that fact. No, that's not going to happen. That's going to happen zero times because he's devoted to a script of lies. So uh, when you're dealing with people and followers who are allergic to facts 
and basic logic. The goal is then to just berate them into submission as a display of dominance so that their viewers can see how weak and pathetic they are, even if they refuse to listen to facts, even if they refuse to try to wrap their heads around any of the, any of the science that I'm presenting, they can see that I'm physically dominating and humiliating who they previously worshipped. And in fact, after that debate, everyone started going, oh, Weiss is controlled opposition. He's, uh, he's not, he's, he's not a real flat earther. So, like, th these are the lengths they have to go to, to like salvage their worldview after seeing their idol, like just crumble, you know? So yeah. it's funny. Yeah, well, it's quite good that you're willing to uh, to debate people. Um, have you? I mean, you've debated other people, not just on the flat Earth uh, topic, haven't you? Gone into uh, you know evolution versus creationism as well. Um, I know that you have yeah. a, a you know you have series of exp exposing series. You have an exposing series and a debunking series. Uh, mm. Discovery Institute and James Tour. I mean. Um, have you debated face-to-face -face, uh, people on those sort of topics? Yeah, well? yeah. I debated James Tour. I went over to his house. I went to Rice University. And I mean, the, these this is the same. There, there's a, actually some overlap psychologically with Flat Earth in terms of um, being scammers. Discovery Institute is a is a Christian propaganda mill, so their like their entire identity, their entire purpose is to lie about science for to push a Christian nationalist agenda, and they kind of recruit. Um, you know, they recruit anyone with a vague scientific background that is going to be able to uh, peddle the propaganda with a veneer of credibility. And so James Storrs, this guy, he's the only one among their ranks who's an actual real publishing scientist. But uh, so he's a chemist, but he's a cre creationist, uh, possibly even a young earth creationist, and he's just totally insane. And so he's been kind of pushing their propaganda for a long time, not so much on evolutionary biology. So you're used to seeing uh, you know, Darwin this, Darwin that, and by evolution, we didn't come from monkeys and blah, blah, blah. But this guy, because he's a chemist, uh, they they are now attacking abiogenesis research, so origin of life, uh, which is obviously a lot more sophisticated in terms of, uh, you know, the chemistry you have to understand. Uh, and so uh, I noticed that nobody was debunking him. I have a chemistry background. So with a little bit of effort, I was able to tear into uh, origin of life research and comprehend it. And uh, so I just started debunking his lies and it escalated. And, uh, and then he, you know, we had this debate, he was screaming and shouting like a maniac. And again, uh, you know, that's something he has to deal with, right? His, his viewers had to watch him behave like a child and uh, it definitely demolished his credibility. So it's, it's tricky territory when you're doing this kind of stuff and there is no opportunity for good faith. There's no good faith discussion with flat earthers, with creationist apologists. It's not there. So the goal is to expose and humiliate, right? You want everyone to see, to, to, you want to shatter the veneer of credibility and show everyone that they're a fraud. That's the purpose of these interactions. So and I, I like to do it. It's fun. Yeah, I want to make um, a general point. I like the idea of using facts. Um, I, I think uh, as scientists, those who work in science fields, we argue from the scientific method. We like to argue on facts and uh, provability, falsifiability. You know, if you come up with a hypothesis, make sure that uh, it, you can demonstrate it and allow somebody else to test it themselves and, uh, you know, put forward what validates it and what can invalidate it. And again, I like that idea. And it's something that we do a lot of Principia Scientific International. And it's easy to do, I think, with a flat earth argument, because, again, as you said, you can use um, 
sat navigation. You can use a lot of things, a lot of tools there. Um, for example, this broadcast right now, we're all in different countries. You know, I'm in the UK and uh, right now it's 3.15 in the afternoon where you are on the West Coast. It's early in the morning where Joe is. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit later. Um, so we can use that kind of obvious fact to then, you know, work out a conclusion that would support the idea of a, of a sphere. You know, the, the Earth rotates nighttime and daytime follow a sequence. So we then can rationally and intelligently agree. We form an opinion based on that. Um, there must there are a lot of issues. You, you raise the issue of like vaccine controversies and so forth. The the nuances, the 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 idea of being able to debate the facts is more complex. Um, it's something that I'm interested in. What is your position? And you, you say you're like anti, you're you're um, anti-vaxxer. Sorry, you're, you're pro-vax. Yeah, I'm anti-anti-vaxxer. <clears throat> yeah, obviously, there's uh, more with, with any uh, any issue that has become politicized, it becomes trickier to navigate because then you're navigating propaganda. There's really no like propaganda associated with the shape of the earth, right? Every rational person knows that it's a globe. Um, but uh, yeah, with vaccine stuff and climate stuff, there's obviously a, a mountain of propaganda to sift through. So you you it's a twofold strategy, you want to provide people with accurate information. Right. I want to teach people the basics of uh, immunology and epidemiology and microbiology and things of that nature. But it, it, it also has to be done that you have to find those bad faith actors. You have to find the charlatans, the propaganda peddlers, and you have to directly, specifically attack them and disarm their narrative and, and expose their lies. Um, and so obviously in, in this in this post pandemic world, we're seeing the most extreme anti-vax sentiment, the most vaccine hesitancy that we've ever seen, even among mm -hmm. the moderately educated. There's, it, there's so many people who say, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, I'm just against the COVID vaccines because mm -hmm. they kill people or something, or they do this or they do that. And it's just completely fabricated. It's just all these fabrications going around. So uh, it can be, it, it, it is a very loaded and, and, and saturated landscape of figures and information and sources that there honestly is a shortage of science communicators like myself, whose job it is to sift through all that and, and clarify, make sense of it for people to go, ah, you've been listening to this guy. He's a liar. Here are all his lies, you know, things like that. So. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm like you, I like the idea of debating facts and, and using empirical methods to work out whether something is credible or not credible. And I would use that uh, terminology, credible or not credible. And um, again, to be completely upfront with you, um, you know, my position is I used to be pro-vax. Now I'm anti-vax because of the pandemic. And my argument has been that uh, the problem with the vax debate all along is, that, first of all, the vaccine business is the only business that has complete immunity from prosecution. Um, th there's no other business model in the world that allows you to get away with causing injury. So that's that's an interesting topic. And uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on the fact that we, we could have a scientific debate on that. Would you debate on that? Or is that something you'd rather keep away from? No, I can just, I'll discuss anything you want with you. I mean, I want to push back on what you said. It's not total immunity. We're talking specifically about the COVID-19 vaccine because it was an emergency situation. So if you didn't have that, uh, if you, if you didn't have that aspect in there, it, it would be, uh, more difficult to produce the vaccine as quickly, which saved millions of lives. So <clears throat> that's just a, a feature of that particular vaccine. But in fact, all, all, in fact, the, 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 the reports of, uh, 
um, you know, heart conditions and all these things and deaths and they're uh, either magnified or, or, or fabricated, right? What people started saying, oh, the vaccine is going to kill people and then it didn't. And then people just said that it was, and it just wasn't. So, okay. but isn't this myocarditis? We need to take a short break. Uh, we'll be right back. This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Kate Shimarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning. But what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all. They just let it on the market all the time. Sugar. Sugar, sugar, sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And and I, if, I I can say, you know, you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food. There's nothing to eat in there. I very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places. And if you go into the supermarket, there's only the first two aisles that have got real food. The rest, it, it's not food. And I see what people buy. I've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys, not them, don't get all excited, but I have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying and it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like and your teenager's brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age. Kate Shimarani on TNT Radio. Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hi, welcome back. Uh, I want to make the point uh, during the, the break, we were listening to, to some interesting adverts. Dave, you made the point. It's uh, quite hard, right? Um, you're making that an interesting point. Um, yeah, politics, party politics is one thing. We're scientists. We, we, we work in science. We're professional scientists in, in that realm. And uh, um I know that you and I will disagree on the vax thing because, uh, again, I, I used to be pro-vax and I, I've got, um, I think, strong reasons uh, for losing my faith. Um, for example, um, I like to, to look at, um, we all have our kind of uh, authority figures, those who we trust. And uh, obviously Pfizer, Pfizer is a major player in the uh, vaccine industry, you know, um, 
but also known to be um, unreliable and also criminal. Um, nobody's paid a higher criminal fine, $2.3 billion. Nobody's paid a higher criminal fine than Pfizer. Um, luckily, they remain in business. I don't know why. Um, but again, I like to look at the work of experts from Pfizer. Uh, one of the experts I like to look at is uh, Mike Yeadon, Mike Yeadon, Professor Mike Yeadon, uh, former chief scientist at Pfizer. Um, again, you know, he worked a distinguished career at Pfizer. Um, now, hardcore anti-vaxxer. Um, you know, it, the reasons why people who are hard scientists might, uh, like Mike Yeadon, um, you know, you have to look at their reasoning. Um, an insider, he knows far more about vaccines than I do. I can't pretend to know as much as he does. And uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I, I don't think Mike Yeadon is uh, a fool. I don't think he's uh, a shill. Um, you know, he's got more to lose than anything. So, again, he's he's come out and said that uh, the COVID vaccines aren't vaccines, the experimental mRNA treatments. And uh, and he says the, the adverse effects are not only uh, scandalous, but outright criminal. Um, are you familiar with his work? No, not him particularly, but I, I would want to push back on your on your presumption that he's not a shill. I mean, it's very lucrative to become an anti-vax uh, pundit. But, uh, you know, um, to talk about adverse effects, I mean, as I said earlier, uh, they've been completely fabricated or, or overblown. It's just not the case, right? People will, uh, the, the, the myocarditis thing, right? It started because I think there were two cases on the AstraZeneca vaccine and they pulled it. Right. They just stopped manufacturing it. That's about it. Then since then, it's just been myocarditis, myocarditis. It's fabricated. Right? It's not it's, it's not a significant uh, issue. There will be cases of famous people having some kind of heart condition. And then the media, the conservative media will go, it was the vaccine. It's like, well, no, it wasn't. It just wasn't. I mean, it's just fabricated. No. Well, so possibly. You, I mean, yeah, ahead, I would John, say, yeah. yeah, your motive, you say there is possibly profit motive. Um, would you think that Pfizer doesn't have a profit motive? All businesses have a profit motive. Hallmark has right. a profit motive. People who sell pencils have a profit motive. Yeah. So you'd say then that um, the profit motive is true for everybody then? Yeah. Anyone who sells anything has a profit motive. You guys have a yeah. profit motive. Yeah. Okay. I have a profit so you wouldn't, motive. You wouldn't say on the face of it then that um, if he was making any money from his work that Mike Yedon was... Uh, being um, dishonorable, being um, unlawful. You, you know, you, you well, I don't know him, he... and I, I, I don't know the specific things he said. So I'd rather, I, I'd rather than discussing individuals who I'm not familiar mm -hmm. with. I'd rather discuss specific claims. So you made the claim about adverse effects, and yeah. I'm very well aware that the narrative around adverse effects has been almost entirely fabricated. People will point to the VARES database, which is unreliable. It's just people, oh, yeah. uh, it's anybody can log in and type whatever they want. So it's been flooded by uh, anti-vaxxers anti fabricating claims. And uh, there's just no water to the, to the idea that there are more adverse effects for the COVID vaccine than any other vaccine. Obviously, there have always been a small amount of adverse effects for any vaccine, but it is not an issue with COVID vaccines any more than any other other it just isn't so who do you rely on then for your vaccine data uh i mean i don't like sit and sift through databases i just look at false claims but how right, do you yeah, verify they're false how do you verify they're false without uh, accepted agreed data 
Well, because I can, I can, I can see at face value that they're false, right? You can just follow the narrative of anybody who's pushing something. They'll say football player uh, had a heart thing. It was the vaccine, right? You just see that it's a baseless claim, right? So, if the government, uh, if the U.S. government, if the U.K. government, Australian government are telling us that they have the data to prove that the vaccine is safe, we should just accept that. I mean, you can talk to as many medical professionals as you want, I suppose. But I mean, when data is a, when when like the scientific community, right? The, the the problem here is the conflation with the scientific community and and the medical or pharmaceutical community, right? Scientists can independently verify certain things, right? And it's it's unfair to lump the global scientific community in with an industry, right? It's just independent scientists studying things, so. Yes, I think that at face value, you trust the scientific community. Obviously, you can feel free to follow up on any data you want. But uh, I mean, if you're it, like, I think that you may be showing some selective bias here in terms of well, favoring a narrative and then looking at, oh, this person said that and that kind of plays into my per my perception of the vaccine versus, you know, this other party. I think that might be um, happening. I mean, take out um, those who are vested, with vested interest. Take out the anti-vaxxers and pro-vaxxers and look at a different data source, for example. Let's look at <coughs> life insurance. Life insurance companies, let's look at uh, funeral directors, uh, morticians. Um, they have no dog in the fight, do they? We could probably agree on that. And yet, and yet what we're finding is there's an extraordinary rise uh, in death rate claims. Uh, the, the insurance industry is saying that... Uh, since the um, rollout of the pandemic vaccines that uh, they've never known such a spike in, in death rates among the under 40s. Um, again, myocarditis is cited. And again, I'm not citing that. I'm not saying that. It's uh, the insurance industry. Um, they don't profit from vaccines. Um, same with undertakers over here in the UK. Um, we call them whistleblowers. Um, undertakers and morticians, they're saying an unprecedented rise in young deaths. Um, who do we trust, Dave? Who would you, who would you think? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite, I think they're quite credible as an independent uh, data source. I don't know. I've never heard from insurance uh, companies on this site. I don't know. You I'd have to look that. at the data myself. Into, yeah. yeah. No. I, I would see, I would urge you to look into that because it's, um, okay. it, it's there. Um, anyway, I don't want to dwell on that because um, Joe Posma, you want to get into something that interests you with, with Dave. So um, it's more to do with the climate issue, I believe. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could get into that. I mean, yeah, I mean, certainly as far as our show uh, goes, you know, we've talked to numerous experts, dozens on various topics. Uh, yeah, certainly a lot of experts, uh, you know, real honest, good people, you know, independent doctors, you know, who've lost a lot, lost money uh, taking this stance, you know. So, you know, I mean, there's a profit motive, but then there's a, you know, there is a legitimate truth motive that people have. And, you know, they do risk and lose lots of money uh in taking their stands and you know in taking their, their stances right and uh yeah i mean so i mean to me that adds adds credibility to a person when when they you know risk their career and risk their uh their their source of income to, to make a point and then they present their data seems pretty convincing a, a lot of time uh we've had a couple guests that i really didn't uh, disagree with uh the one i kind of just let him say his thing and don't worry about it. That's uh, Bart mm -hmm. Cybrell, and he's uh, he's the moon landing moon hoax guy, and yeah, uh, yeah and uh, like his arguments are so specious, and and I just kind of like okay, whatever. I just let him 
it was thing we enjoy having him on. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I push back though. I don't let him get away with everything. Uh, but then we had another fellow, uh, Pierre, uh, Pierre Robitali. And, uh, man, I can't oh. say anything that that guy says that there, that's, that uh, guy's that's, a lunatic. Uh, I've debunked him. Yeah, that that's complete lunatic stuff. Uh, yep. Absolutely, yeah, very very disturbing. <laughs> you know, and what what always disturbs me is where do these people? You know, going back to the flat Earth theory stuff, where do, where do these people have the time to come up with these arguments? Because a lot of their arguments sound quite sophisticated, especially you know some of them. They use the language and and the phraseology of science. They use words from science, but then yep. they have this talent at just stringing them along in a way that. Uh, carries no logical meaning whatsoever and if no. you're just a bystander you think wow that sounds so intelligent you look at the comments people are like wow this was so educational i never learned so much about science in a in a yeah, youtube video it's and it's like it's like but they actually said nothing they actually said nothing they just used a bunch of complex words and said no yep. nothing i mean that that's a real problem how do you it's just a problem with education or, or what dave no, so it's not education. I mean, there, and I actually do see a lot of this in the sphere of astrophysics, and I and I actually do uh, focus on it to an extent. The electric universe and all of these uh, all of these charlatans, and it's it's it it stems from an anti-establishment bias, right? This narrative of the of the rogue truth teller, whistleblowing in any field, right? Vaccines. So anyone you're talking about with vaccines, with climate. Um, but I love astrophysics the most because it's so devoid of an actual foundational narrative. It's just people going, Einstein is dumb and stars don't work the way we think they do and all of these things. But here's me, some guy on YouTube. So with the Pierre guy, he has a background. He he was actually a very good like MRI technician. Like he helped uh, develop some MRI technology or something. So <clears throat> for the individual figures themselves, I think it stems from a delusional narcissism of like, I want to be this incredible revolutionary figure in my field or an adjacent field. In this case, he suddenly pretended he was a, an expert in astrophysics and he starts spewing all this stuff about the sun is this and, uh, you know, all just things that are so blatantly contradictory to to the body of scientific knowledge in astrophysics and that you have thunderbolts and Wall Thornhill and all these people. And, um, so that's their that their motive is either uh, fabricating a situation where they can be a revolutionary figure, or it's just profit. Honestly, Thunderbolts is just they make videos to make money and stuff. Um, but then you know, the followers, it's that thing of like, I like all of science is wrong, but I know the truth. Like it's that Neo in the Matrix feeling. That's what people are searching for. You know, I see a real psyop that's going on behind here. That's you know potentially going on here because you know it is possible that mistakes are made it is possible that one person can see something or a small group of people can see something and present a logical a valid criticism and it is possible that there would be pushback against that simply because of prevailing narrative and you know you know the concept of paradigms right uh what was his name thomas kuhn wrote about shift. how kuhn, yeah. yeah paradigm shift how hard it is to change a paradigm just because people have a, have a way of thinking about it right so it is possible but what these people do is they make it seem ridiculous and so they 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 really end up being um, narrative enforcers, which is even worse, uh, or I guess just just a compounding effect of 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 you know maintaining what could in theory be a false narrative, you know. Um, so it's kind of a, a double whammy. They're they're presenting this ridiculous 
information in a ridiculous way, right? Mm -hmm. Which is going to make people stupid. But then on the other hand, they're reinforcing that the only possible truth could be the one you're getting from the news and from the mainstream narrative. So don't you think that's a problem, problem as well? No, I think that the problem is the conflation of the scientific process with the idea of a narrative, right? The science is not the news, right? The science is a body of empirical knowledge. So when I look well, at that's Pierre why that's Walfoyle, why I brought in Thomas. That's why I brought in Thomas Kuhn and the idea of paradigm. Sure. That's what I meant, meant by narrative. You know, narrative yeah, but, paradigm. You know, but that in itself is a narrative. Treating any scientific fact you want as part of an obsolete paradigm is a tactic of the charlatan to get you to devalue what is very, very well established science. So that's why when I debunk, debunk these people in the realm of astrophysics and they go, Einstein was wrong, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, here is the overwhelming body of empirical evidence supporting relativity, satellites, uh, retrograde, uh, the perihelion precession of Mercury, it, you know, uh, time, you know, uh, time dilation, black holes, gravitational lensing, blah, blah, blah. Can you explain all of these things to eight orders of magnitude precision, right? It, it, it's a disavowal of reality, right? They're, they're saying all of this well-established science is fake because I say so, or a failing paradigm or whatever. However, they, they're, they're very clever in dressing it up with this language. As you say, Kuhn, paradigm shifter, they'll, they'll go to some other epistemological corner. They'll try to dress it up as a, as a philosophical movement, right? But it's not. It's just a denial of science and then pushing this other thing where if you're uneducated in the area and they speak very confidently and they use uh, technical jargon, in some cases, legitimate technical jargon, just used improperly, it can be very convincing to those who want to buy into this narrative of, oh, this is a trailblazer, this is a whistleblower, all of that science that I that I don't like, that I didn't want to learn because it makes me feel stupid, because it goes over my head and I, I don't want to take the time to learn it, it's okay because it's not even real. It didn't. I didn't have to learn it. It's all fake anyway. I can just watch this one guy on YouTube and now I'm smarter than Einstein. Right, that's, well, that, the, yeah. that's the delusion that the audience plays into. Yeah, that's why I say that it harms, you know, valid debate and and bringing in Thomas Kuhn because yeah, obviously there's some issues which are ridiculous to debate, such as you know flat Earth theory, but there yeah. are other issues which are much more, um, what would you call it? They're just much less well defined, and then they are more 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 difficult to to debate. You know, like climate change, for example, that's been going on for for ages now. You know, th that whole debate, and you know, that's of course where uh, where John and I got. You know, I'm a I I was an astrophysicist. I'm not anymore because I'm. I got uh, basically fired for taking the position that I did on climate change. Um, um, and uh, anyway, that's where John and I got our start was looking into this climate change debate. And it was a pretty rough start. And, uh, you know, you get into that debate and it's hostile, right? It's, ex it's extremely hostile. Uh, but, you know, that's an example where I would say there is valid debate to be had there. Mm -hmm. But when you get all this you know, flat earth debate and stuff. And then people say, oh, well, do you believe in flat earth theory too? And it's like, no, I'm not a flat earth theorist just because I'm debate. You know, I guess it's a matter of qualifications. I mean, I am an ast an actual astrophysicist. I have worked on space telescopes. That was my career. Um, you know, and then like you said, other people come in, they're actually charlatans. They actually have no qualifications uh, mm -hmm. whatsoever. Uh, but people don't care about that. I mean, it doesn't really matter what your qualification is. Because like you said, people will believe a complete charlatan with no qualifications. And if you do have qualifications, they can just write you off as a as a quack with qualifications. So yeah, uh, what sure. I see is that that these these sort of the flat Earth debate and the no moon landing debate. I think that they're really they're so bad. What's really bad about them, in and of themselves, they're bad. But what they do is they delegitimize valid debate. 
you know, that experts can have. And yeah, you might not be an expert in the field and your debate might not be having through the peer review system. But that's why, uh, you know, I bring up the idea of Thomas Kuhn and paradigm. Sometimes, you know, if you have a peer review system, you know, niche, you know, because it's all specialization, right? And mm -hmm. uh, that specialized paradigm might not just be able to handle information or, or handle that debate through the peer review system because that peer review system is existing within you know the paradigm of the way that it, a given problem is handled and uh yeah so that's what i see i, I don't know if i'm making make it, it clear uh, i'm just, I'm just, just saying that the thing is the 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 concept of a paradigm shift in this it, like it, it's just a non-starter because you can look excuse me at any like the classic example of the paradigm shift is just the shift into modern physics the shift into relativity and quantum mechanics and the problem is that people try to frame it as just everything that came before is wrong and then modern physics is right when in fact modern physics subsumed classical physics right uh, classical physics emerges from modern physics it's all actually one thing it's just that we've uh, elucidated the the nature of the very fast and the very small um and so the narrative of like paradigm shift being a rejection of all the science that came prior is just kind of a, it, it's just a Trojan horse, right? It's just a way to say, no, 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 no. The science that's being discussed right now is wrong. And this is a completely separate, correct paradigm. It's just not how science works, right? If you yeah, have data. Yeah. Well, right, I'm sorry. just going to say it, it. I mean, it is quite nuanced, right? We get, yeah. I mm -hmm. mean, yeah, modern physics does come from the research being done by classical <laughs> physics. You know, obviously, you know, we have Newton, say Newton's law for gravity, for example, really, really simple law. In fact, that law is actually fundamental. It is wrong. It works, but it's actually wrong. That's not how, you know, gravity actually works, but it's an equation that works. So, I mean, yeah, there's such fine nuance when you get in these details, isn't mm -hmm. there, John? Anyway, John, I think we got to go yeah. for a minute. Yep, this is TNT Radio. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care, and they also help kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at mda.org today. JDRF's vision is to create a world without type 1 diabetes. The type 1 diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the type 1 diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the type 1 diabetes community, we're energised by the type 1 community and we're accountable to the type 1 diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people and all the organisations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, 
exciting innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day, until the day we find a cure. To everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. Thank you to everybody who supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible. Using science to debunk myths. From the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Hi, welcome back. Uh, we're having an interesting conversation on science, credible science, uh, junk science, nonsense science. We started off with Flat Earth, uh, Dave Farina. He's Professor Dave, popular YouTuber. Um, he did a wonderful job uh, debunking a Flat Earther. Um, it's very entertaining. It's, it's where science becomes... Uh, communicated to the masses. It's very difficult to, to communicate science uh, entertainingly to the masses. It's something that I've tried doing. I was a school teacher 15, 20 years. It's not an easy task. Um, Dave, I, um, one of the things I like that, that you said earlier, very early on, is that uh, you're a great believer in data. Um, again, it's one of the things with science, it, it, it's uh, very much intensive in terms of research. Reading data is not easy. It's very time consuming. And, uh, you know, right or wrong, we don't all have the time to you go to the primary sources. We have to rely quite a lot on secondary sources and, and authority figures, uh, you know, myself included. As a teacher, you teach from the book, you tend to uh, put forward an argument that are uh, very compelling. One of the arguments I put forward as a teacher that was the mainstream narrative, accepted mainstream science was the idea that um, carbon dioxide traps heat and uh, delays cooling in the atmosphere, the greenhouse gas theory. I remember teaching that to uh, my year 10s and year, year 11s, and uh, you know, they, they swallowed it up, and I, I did for, for quite a long time. Joe Posma, you and I, we don't believe that anymore, do we? No, yeah. Um, I was a big believer, you know, I was a mainstream scientist, you know, for sure my whole career, you know, right, right into that. And I, but what I was, I was always interested in controversial things. You know, one of the first controversial things I was interested in was, you know, the whole creationism versus, uh, you know, evolution debate. That was fun. But then this was obviously a big thing, climate. And uh, man, people hated each other over that, man. Just like there's so much freaking hate about <laughs> climate. And if you're going to not believe it versus believe it, it seems like, the, you know, you really needed to believe that we're destroying the, the, uh, the climate and the atmosphere with it. Anyway, so that was a, an easy thing to start looking into. Started looking into it. I was a bit shocked um, at some of the stuff that I found, and then I found John. And anyway, their 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 take was uh, to look at the greenhouse gas effect, and it was that was reasonable because if you're doing due due diligence, you know what what I was seeing in this debate was people were debating about such ridiculous things, the minutia, right? The, the warming is going to be one degree. No, no, no. That's so wrong and stupid. The warming is going to be 1.5 degrees. Oh, wow. That's such a big difference. Like debate about minutia was just so useless. So I thought, well, what do you do in physics? You go to first principles, right? You, you go to what is the underlying physics? What are the equations? What is like the Newton's law, so to speak, behind this process? And so that's the greenhouse effect. And so you look at how does its greenhouse effect work what's the mechanism right and so you look into that mechanism and it was uh yeah simply not not uh, sustainable not consistent with why what i had learned in uh in physics in education in undergrad and then uh 
the thing is, when you try to debate that, then you get real pushback and people don't want to have that, that debate. Um, really comes down to something disturbing. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I know to you, Dave, it's going to sound so ridiculous. But uh, if, you, if you look at how the greenhouse effect is derived in physics, right? What are the underlying equations? What is the thermodynamics equations that they're using? So they use these diagrams, which are, it's called it a global energy budget, right? It's derived out of global energy budget analysis. But the thing about the global energy budget analysis they, is they use a flat line. So what's a for the Earth's surface? So that, and that's representing the whole Earth's surface, right? So you use a flat line for the whole Earth's surface. And then you work out some physics for how the solar interaction, how the sunlight would have to interact with that flat line. And you apply some things like conservation of energy. Well, that's reasonable. But the thing is, if you apply conservation of energy to a flat line representing the whole Earth, well, that means that you got to take the solar input and spread it over that whole surface. If you're going to conserve the surface area and conserve the energy coming in, then you need to take the solar energy as an input in its flux units of watts per meter squared, and you spread it over that entire surface of the Earth, but now represented as a flat plane. Now, um, when you do that um, math, when you work it out mathematically, you get what's called the effective temperature of the Earth. And this is like an effect, a, a fictional temperature, which would be the temperature of the Earth if it emitted that energy, which it absorbed from the sun, back outwards from the whole surface of the Earth as a black body, right? As this Planck function. So you get this, that's called an effective temperature, right? So you get minus 18 degrees Celsius. But the thing is, when you do this energy budget and you do the solar input, on this flat line spread over the whole surface of the Earth, then you get that effective temperature output of minus 18 degrees Celsius as the solar input. And so now you've set up a paradigm where the solar input is minus 18 degrees Celsius. And the justification for that is, well, that's the average. It's like, but the thing is, that's actually the average output, right? But mathematically, you've made that now be the solar input. And so when you say that, the solar input on average is minus 18 degrees Celsius, you say, well, the Earth should be minus 18 degrees Celsius then, so why is it warmer? And that is where then the greenhouse effect is developed and they develop some equations and some, you know, mm -hmm. diagrams with, you know, these arrows back and forth showing, you know, this phenomenon they call back radiation, mm -hmm. uh, which is supposed to heat the surface further than what the sun can do because the sun is only able to do minus 18 degrees Celsius, right? And so I pointed out, look, just use a sphere for the input Instead of a flat line, use a sphere for the input, right? And then the whole output, you understand that the Earth is going to output from that whole sphere, and that's your minus 18 degrees Celsius effective temperature. But when you put the input of the sun over a sphere, well, then you have a maximum, you know, right under the solar zenith, and it falls off, obviously, toward the terminator, right? Where, you know, you get the transition between day and night. When you do it that way, then you get the sun that, that the sun has a heating potential of 120 degrees Celsius, which is, of course, the, of course, the solar constant, which is what the moon experiences, which is why the surface of the moon gets up to 120 degrees Celsius. And then you find, you know, instead of thinking of the sun being minus 18 degrees Celsius, unable to create the climate, therefore you need a greenhouse effect to create the climate. Now you say, oh, wow, the sun is 121 degrees Celsius heating. That's why it's so hot on the equator. That's how the climate is generated in the first place. And then you have no need to postulate a greenhouse effect and further warming uh, um, from, from, from that point. So that's an idea of, you know, two different paradigms, you know, a paradigm based on doing an energy budget with a flat line, therefore making the sun minus 18 degrees Celsius uh, maximum heating potential, you know, on a totally evenly distributed or evenly illuminated flat plane, which obviously doesn't represent reality. And if you wanted to say if that represents reality at all, it would, would have to represent flat earth theory, right? That's how you would work out 
math for flat earth theory if the earth was flat, right? And there's a, so, but then there's a mathematical consequence of doing that, right? An erroneous one, obviously, saying that the sun can't create the climate. Use a sphere, then the sun does create the climate. So then if you look into the physics of how this flat earth model, global energy budget, greenhouse effect functions, it's this back radiation idea where rad thermal radiation from the atmosphere bumps up the surface temperature because the sun does minus 18 degrees Celsius, but then radiation coming back from the atmosphere bumps it up some more. Well, you just apply some thermodynamics to that, right? And that's not something that can happen in thermodynamics because that implies, you know, heat recycling, heat reversibility, because obviously the only heating is coming from the sun in the first place on the surface, then the surface heats the atmosphere. So to have the atmosphere send thermal energy back to the surface to heat the surface up some more, um, that would be reverse heat flow. Obviously, heat can't do something like that. And again, this is all predicated on the sun only heating things to minus 18 degrees Celsius. When it actually heats things under the equator to plus 120 degrees Celsius, the Earth's surface never actually experiences those temperatures like the moon does because the atmosphere is absorbing that energy and latent heat and water and water vapor is absorbing that energy. So that's why the surface of the Earth doesn't get that hot. And then boom, there, that's your climate. That's why you have a climate, solar heating, right? Um, so that was my analysis into the greenhouse effect. So I wrote about that, wrote some papers on that, um, studied it for a long time, wrote a bunch of papers just for people to read online, you know, because uh, obviously that was a very difficult thing to try to submit to peer review. Finally, I had it simplified enough that I said, okay, I can, I can submit this paper to peer review. And I simply presented, look, here's how you do a global energy budget model with a sphere. And here's the prevailing way it's done with a flat line. And the difference is that with a sphere, you identify right away that the sun creates a climate. With a prevailing way of using the flat line, you don't, you would never identify that the sun creates a climate because the sun is only minus 18 degrees Celsius. That's why you invent a greenhouse effect to create the climate, right? And the responses I got through peer review. Now, so I'm an astrophysicist. I worked on a space telescope internationally. You know, I've solved, um, you know, this world. It's a problem called the world coordinate. Anyway, I've written lots of scientific papers, right? Uh, that's so, so writing a paper about this was, was relatively easy, easy to do. I submitted it to 14 different journals in the end, and the responses I got kind of confirm this theory, or what Thomas Kuhn wrote about, about paradigms. And that, you know, once a paradigm is entrenched, in, entrenched, it becomes very, very difficult for people to be able to think outside that paradigm, and you can't even submit papers like peer review papers to that paradigm and expect them to adopt a new one they just won't do it right so the responses i got to just showing look here's here's doing an energy energy budget with a sphere here's doing it with a flat line and basic difference sun creates a climate on a sphere sun can't create the climate on a flat plane energy budget right that's a pretty important basic scientific difference right basic thing there right the responses were astounding the responses were you have no evidence to say that it makes a difference and it's like, well, I just showed you the evidence. Here's the equations, and the Earth is a sphere, is it not? I, I had one paper ask me, what, a, basically asking me for evidence that there is a difference between the Earth being a sphere and the Earth being flat. It was really, really bewildering, really strange experience to go through. But it really just confirmed um, this whole theory of, of Thomas Kuhn. So I know I've given a whole spiel there. That, that's a lot of stuff to go through. I've taken almost this whole break now. Um, being presented with all this, uh, what's your impression of all that? I mean, what do you think? Yeah, that's a lot. Um, 
I don't know. I think that possibly the papers just found errors in your methodology. I mean, it sounds to me like all of that is trying to deny the concept of atmospheric molecules reflecting heat back to the back to the body that the atmosphere surrounds, which is he, he demonstrably can't be false. Heat he can't be okay. reflected, though. That, that's not a thing in thermodynamics. Right? Why is Venus hotter than Mercury? Uh, why is it, because it has an atmosphere that's 90 times deeper than, than Earth's. And so you have the adiabatic effect, right? You mean that the surface temperature, Venus is actually cooler, right? The effective temperature no, it's hotter Venus than Mercury is, is quite because cool. it has such a thick carbon dioxide atmosphere, right? You it, like, no, the, I, I'm not the able effective, at face the value to pick apart the, the model. Just come on, give me a second yeah. here. You just talk for like 10 minutes. Yeah, I sure, can't at face value pick apart the model that you just presented. I'd have to read it. I'd have to look at the paper. I'd have to talk to experts and stuff. But it sounds like you're harping on a simplification, right? When we when we talk about a flat plane versus a globe, it's a perfectly fine, uh, you know, limiting presumption when you're just looking at a small area. So I can't criticize but that model. It's not a small area. It's, it's, for, it's for the whole surface of the Earth, right? So, I mean, okay. you're big anyway, on debunking flat Earth theory. So if you present the whole Earth as a flat plane, do you yeah, think that can be valid? They're not pretending that the Earth is flat, right? What I'm saying well, what is what does that a flat line you, mean, though? I if mean, mathematically, at, what does if, it mean? If you look at other celestial bodies, we can see yeah. how atmospheres produce climate, right? Why is Venus hotter than Mercury? Why is Mars so cold? Why are all these other celestial bodies have the average temperatures that they have and, and the suite of, atmosp uh, of atmospheric conditions, of, of climate conditions that they have, right? We can look at right. other bodies and model this stuff. And so I'm yeah. very confused. I, I agree with the one thing I agree with that you said, right? If we're looking at a global chaotic system, system and this nuance of one degree, 1.5 degrees, there are many factors. And so I think that there is room for discussion, but I disagree because I agree that what you said, you have to look at very simple physical mechanisms, but I don't think that it's disputable that carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. I think that carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. That's indisputable mm -hmm. that we pump billions of tons into the atmosphere uh, with industrial processes. That's indisputable that that is causing a warming is indisputable. There are other factors and there's other nuance <laughs> that climate, that climate scientists could discuss and, and, yeah, but do and you talk think, about do it. Do you think that working? Can I let, do you mind if I just, inter, inter, yeah, I just want to interject slightly. Um, Again, because uh, my position is I represent literally hundreds, if not thousands, of applied scientists at Principia Scientific. And uh, uh, you may not know this, Dave, but um, academia has a very different take on CO2 to applied scientists. Um, as you probably know, CO2 in the atmosphere is 0.04%. It's a trace gas. Um, the effect uh, argued by the climate models is somehow that is part of a mechanism that raises the temperature by 33 degrees, Dave, 33 degrees. In effect, 0.04, that's the control knob of the climate. CO2 is very, very powerful. I put it to industry experts, um, you know, this incredible free energy source called CO2, it traps heat, delays cooling. Why are we not using it uh, to heat things? And they told me, John, you've you got to realize that CO2 is the most efficient cooling gas we have in industry. Nothing cools, nothing emits uh, energy faster than uh, CO2. <laughs> so, Dave, um, you, I know you're not, um, you know, probably familiar with our work, but uh, we would disagree on the idea that CO2 in any way, shape or form controls the climate. You know, that's applied science. Well, you said something about 33 degrees. I don't know where you're getting that. That's a very that's small... That's the greenhouse effect. Yeah. That's the greenhouse uh, effect. I have that no... That is the greenhouse effect. 
we're we're talking about it. We're talking about a very small uh, impact of, of the average global cli- uh, global average temperature. We're talking about just a couple of degrees, but we're talking about the ramifications that that has on the globe. So I don't know what thirty three degrees comes from, but the fact that it's not uh, of the, not the major component of the atmosphere doesn't matter, right? It does what it does, and then you're adding billions of tons more to it. Uh, that's what the that's what the impact is. Uh, yeah, like but if there's include, no green effect, then there's no impact. Yeah, we we entirely if, reject if the green it's aspect. So powerful, it, we would be using it in industry okay, to trap well, heat. Explain we to me alternately don't. why Venus is so hot. Then, <laughs> right? Why is Venus because hot the adiabatic effect? That's easy. Adiabatic to pressure, an atmosphere that's ninety <laughs> times deeper than the Earth, and you have the the adiabatic effect, yeah. right? The adiabatic. But what is gradient. the composition of the atmosphere? It's For adi- Venus, it, it, it actually only depends on the on the specific thermal capacity of the gas. So, I mean, it could be anything. Gentlemen, I, I hate to cut the I hate to cut the conversation short. It's wonderful to have, have you on the show, Dave. It's a very entertaining conversation. We wish you well. Thank you for joining us on Sky Dragon Slaying. <laughs>